Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Dur Show. Lots of things happened in the interim between last Wednesday and today. Just go over them briefly and then get to the topic of the day. King Charles uh, being diagnosed with uh, cancer. I've never met King Charles. I've met some of the other royals, but not King Charles. Uh, but my close friend and academic colleague was one of his tutors in college and uh, thought extremely highly of him. And I think highly of him based on what I've seen in the, you know, just months that he's been uh, the king. He seems intent on creating a separation of church and state. As you know, in England, there's an, an official established religion. The Anglican Church is the official church of England. In fact, for centuries, you couldn't hold office unless you were an Anglican. Um, even um, Benjamin Disraeli, one of the great prime ministers of uh, British history, and, and couldn't have held hit that job had his family not converted uh, from being born Jewish to being uh, uh, an Anglican. So he's sworn to do that, and he's changed his title from the defender of the faith to the defender of faiths. He's also uh, taken a much more uh, down-to-earth attitude toward his responsibility. So I wish him well. Um, getting cancer at this age is not uncommon, and often people at this age die not from cancer, but with their cancer. That is, they outlive the cancer. Um, I'm hoping that uh, he'll live a, a long life. Uh, he certainly waited long enough to become king, and I hope he has a, a long and uh, effective um, kingship. And then, of course, we have what's going on now in, in the Middle East um, with the United States doing too little too late. Um, bombing empty shells of places, having given them five days to desert and leave. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, physical damage uh, being done, but I can't imagine the Iranian mullahs doing any, anything but laughing to the bank. Uh, they're saying, all right, this is the best they can do. They're going after some people. You know, as, as people say, the Iranians, who are not Arabs, are willing to fight to the last Arab. Uh, they don't use their own soldiers or people. They send their their surrogates. They send the Shia uh, Hezbollah into uh, northern Israel. They send uh, the Shias from uh, Iraq. Uh, they send the Shias in, Yebina, in, in, in Yemen. Um, and, um, uh, but even these attacks have not, have not affected very many uh, individuals. You know, the United States is... Um, or many people are condemning Israel for killing too many civilians. Um, and uh, you don't want civilians to be killed, but you do want your attacks to be effective. And these attacks don't seem to me to be effective. If I were an Iranian mullah, I'd say, bring it on. You know, if that's all you can do, uh, you have to get the head of the octopus. Remember, it's in the nature of octopuses that they can grow their pods back. Amazing, remarkable that they can do that. And that, of course, is what Iran can do. 
if you destroy uh, the Houthis, they'll just renew. If you destroy the Hezbollah, they'll just renew. If you go after uh, others, uh, Hamas, they'll, they'll just get new groups. Um, and so I don't think it's particularly effective. I, I'm going to keep an open mind. Maybe there'll be more. Maybe it'll be more effective. Maybe the message will be received. But I I kind of I kind of doubt it. And then finally, on a personal matter, I was invited uh, by students to speak uh, about the Israel-Gaza um, conflict at the University of Miami. And of course, a whole campaign started uh, by radical anti-Israel groups led, headed by a group called Canes for Palestine. Canes is just short for Hurricanes, which is the nickname of the Miami, I guess, uh, athletic team. So they've started a campaign to ban me from the campus and not to allow me to speak. Their excuse is that I'm a, quote, well-known pedophile. No, no. I'm a well-known innocent person who was falsely accused. I wasn't even accused of being a pedophile. I was accused of having sex with, I don't know, an 18, 19, 22, 23. It was all false. Um, and I proved it. And um, she ultimately acknowledged uh, that she may have made a mistake and the matter was over. She dropped all of her proceedings against me, but that's not enough. They're using it at the University of Miami. Radical students are using this false charge, which was dismissed, um, as an excuse and justification for trying to ban me. It won't work at the University of Miami because they have a, a strong administration that will not censor um, uh, people who are speaking about Israel because some students don't like it. Uh, and, and, and But it works elsewhere. I will not be invited to some other campuses for fear that there would be demonstrations, even if these demonstrations are only by a dozen people. In this case, there are more, but uh, we'll see what happens. I'm scheduled to speak on Wednesday uh, evening. I'm planning to speak. I'm planning to take questions on every subject, uh, including the, the false allegations against me, but I want to speak primarily about Israel. And I will never back down and I will never allow myself to be canceled. I can't control if people don't invite me, but I will fight back from any attempt to uh, cancel me. And uh, so we'll see. I'll report back. We'll see what happens when my scheduled event uh, occurs. Um, okay, so let's talk about the subject at hand. This is a subject I taught about for years. In fact, I'm writing a book about it. Uh, the book I'm writing is called The Preventive State. And it's about how governments are moving much more in the area of trying to prevent things like mass shootings of what we're talking about here, um, and also prevent many other disasters. We have the ability to prevent more disasters, and there are more disasters that need to be prevented. So it's, it's a balance. How does that relate to this? It relates to this in this respect. Here we have two, we have three prosecutions. Okay. Um, we have the prosecution against um, uh, Ethan Crumbly. He was the shooter, the man who killed uh, four fellow students and wounded others, and uh, he was prosecuted appropriately and sentenced to life imprisonment with no possibility of of parole. I don't recall why he didn't get the death penalty, but he didn't, uh, maybe because of his, uh, his age. But in any event, um, now the mother has been prosecuted. As we speak now, the case is uh, uh, under consideration by the jury. 
And uh, we'll see what the outcome is for, for, for Jennifer Crumley. She's been charged with a form of uh, kind of manslaughter. Uh, and the father, uh, James Crumbly, um, will be prosecuted. Maybe the evidence will be different. I actually watched a good deal of the examination, cross-examination of Jennifer Crumbly. She was a very, very good witness. She testified in a very credible way. She seemed to be acknowledging her faults, her problems, and there were many. She was not a good mother. Um, but the question raised by the case is, Where's the line between being a not good mother, uh, you know, her case, having an affair, uh, not paying as much attention, uh, giving her son access to a gun, uh, although the gun was supposed to be locked up and the bullets were supposed to be in a different place. But in any event, um, if she were being charged with just being a bad mother, um, first of all, there would be not, not enough room in any jail cells and any country to fit anybody else because there'd be millions of people charged with not being a good mother or a good father. But she was charged with more than that. She's charged with essentially <clears throat> being responsible in some respects for the horrible multiple homicides that her son um, uh, committed. Now, I want to do a thought experiment with you, and this is the way I would have done it um, when I was teaching first year criminal law at Harvard Law School for 50 years. Okay, let's assume exactly the same facts. Let's assume that uh, Jennifer Crumley was this not very good mother, that uh, she bought her son uh, or allowed her son to have a gun, that she took her son to the shooting range, that she uh, didn't lock up the gun properly, that she went to the principal's office and saw that he had done terrible pictures involving the gun, guns, and uh, involving threats to other people, exactly the same. And let's assume that Ethan Cromley did exactly the same as he was accused of doing up until the last minute, that he took the gun, went to school. Uh, let's assume that he went on his social network and said, I'm now going to kill as many classmates as I can. And on the way to school, he's hit by a bus and killed, which would have been a very good outcome. Um, but that didn't happen. But let's assume that happened. And uh, he's dead, so he can't be charged. And nobody's been killed, thankfully. Uh, but the police investigate the mother and they say, you know, look at all the things she did. She, she gave him the gun. She didn't do this. She didn't do that. She had an affair. Would anybody dream of charging the mother with any criminal offense? I don't think so. It was the fact that in the end, he did kill four people. But morally, there really is no difference between her actions if he killed four people and her actions if he was hit by a bus and only he was killed. I acknowledge this is a thought experiment. This is a hypothetical. This is the way I used to teach. It's called the Socratic method. And I would call on the students and say, what would you do if the kid had been killed by the bus? Um, and there had been no, um, uh, no deaths of innocent uh, people, uh, would there have been a, a prosecution? And if so, what would be the criteria? How do you define who, who crosses the line from being a bad mother to being a criminally bad mother responsible for her son's uh, uh, criminal actions? These are not easy questions, and they, you know, they're never easy questions. Of course, it doesn't occur only in the context of 
um, this kind of uh, horrible school shooting. You know, you can have two people who are equally drunk get into a car and they have equally bad brakes. Everything is exactly the same. And um, one of them crashes into a car filled with young children and kills them all. And the other one crashes into a telephone pole and just injures himself. Uh, but it's the same degree of culpability, even though the outcome is is different. Now, you know, in life, outcomes are very important. Uh, in one case, a lot of children were killed. In the other case, the guy was injured and maybe killed. But uh, the question is, how do you morally distinguish? I mean, let's assume you're not the judge um, or the juror here on earth, but you're in the heavenly court. And uh, these cases come before you and you're you're God's lawyer, and you're giving God advice on how to deal with these cases, uh, would you deal with them differently? Uh, would you say that a person is to be punished multiply because of the fortuity that in one of the cases multiple deaths occurred and the other of the cases no deaths occurred or only the death of the person who um, uh, was directly uh, responsible? Uh, these are the kinds of questions that I thought about and thought about for, for many years, and students would always have tremendous uh, differences of opinion. Uh, some would always argue that uh, the outcome is important, the result is important, there are dead bodies, and there are grieving parents, and there are grieving, you know, friends, and uh, part, part of the function of the criminal law is revenge, uh, less tolianus, uh, retaliation, uh, um, and others would say, no, the, the role of the criminal law is deterrence, prevention, uh, morality, and there's no moral difference between two people who did exactly the same thing. Um, I mean, the hypothetical that I used to love to give is um, two people each firing a shot uh, right at the midsection of the intended victim. And in one case, the bullet enters the heart and kills the victim. In the other case, I don't know if you remember, there used to be a toothpaste commercial. The Gardol shield would come down to prevent your teeth from being decayed. So in the hypothetical case that I would give, the same shooter would fire the same shot, aimed at the same heart, but unbeknownst to him, a bulletproof shield would come down, and <clears throat> the bullet would hit the shield ricochet and, and hit the shooter, not kill him. And then the shooter is put is put on, on trial. Look, I, I've had cases, real cases, uh, like that. I had the case of a man <clears throat> who shot somebody uh, thinking he was alive, and it turned out he was dead before my client shot him. So could he be charged with murder? Could he be charged with attempted murder? I mean, these are the kinds of cases that we we teach about all the time, and there were real cases like that. My case really, really happened, and my client was convicted of murder. I was not the trial lawyer, and I got it reversed on appeal. And I got the court to hold. Initially, it couldn't be murder because man dies but once, and you can't kill somebody who's already dead. But then the court said it was attempted murder. I got that reversed on appeal, and my client went free. Uh, was that justice? Well, um, under the law of attempt in New York at the time, you needed to have a higher level of intent. If somebody didn't, if somebody didn't die, then if somebody did die. So these are the kinds of issues. Uh, the Sherlock Holmes case was one that I used to talk about 
in criminal law, um, in one of Sherlock Holmes's books, Sherlock realizes that Dr. Moriarty is out to kill him. And he doesn't want to take the chance of being killed. So he goes to Madame Tussard and has Madame Tussard do a perfect replica dummy of Sherlock Holmes. And they put the dummy on a rocking chair and they have the rocking chair move back and forth. Moriarty, thinking the dummy is Sherlock Holmes, aims his pistol directly at his head and blows off the head of the dummy. Is that attempted murder? Can you attempt to kill a statue? Um, students would occasionally say, well, that's statutory murder. No, it's statute, statute, not statue. Um, um, and in the Sherlock Holmes case, they don't resolve it. Um, but in real life, you have to resolve it. And so these are the kinds of questions that uh, come up not so often in criminal cases, but often enough for me to have um, to have taught about them. And so the end result is if you're going to prosecute uh, Jennifer Crumley and Ethan Crumley, my better view is you ought to have a statute that defines what constitutes being a criminal father or a criminal mother. And if they come up to the line no, you don't prosecute them. Maybe you take the child away if it's a very young child, um, but you don't prosecute. But if the parent exceeds the line, goes over the line, for example, you know, buys a 13-year-old who has a history of violence, a gun, and then lets him have the gun and lets him have access to alcohol and doesn't try to even tell him how to use the gun safely, and he goes out and he kills People, or if he doesn't go out and kill people, you could even before the killing occurred, you could come in and prosecute those parents for a reckless disregard, reckless behavior, or some other statute that you might come up with. Um, but I just don't feel comfortable saying that because this one terrible young man, Ethan, did such a terrible thing that his parents have to be held responsible for his actions when they wouldn't have been held responsible for this exactly what they did had he not gone out and done it or had he been hit by a bus before he, he managed to do it. I understand there are going to be arguments on the other side, and I'd love to get some, some letters and comments making the point of view on the other side. Also, I'm not suggesting that my solution is uh, eminently practical. Uh, the fact that people are killed is what generates support and interest in going and finding somebody. But you want to avoid that somebody being a scapegoat. And my fear is that the mother, um, that there are thousands of mothers who are morally the equivalent of, of Jennifer Crumbly. And probably, I haven't heard the evidence about the father yet, but probably thousands of fathers who are who are morally equivalent uh, as well. Um, you know, I think it should be a crime for parents to have a uh, loaded gun in the house without taking extreme precautions to make sure that uh, underage kids don't have access to that gun without the supervision of parents. That's something I think even the National Rifle Association tends to agree with, except almost nobody's ever prosecuted for that unless a tragedy occurs. 
and these deaths ensue. So that's my class for today. Interested in your reaction. I wish you were there in front of me so I could call on you and, and we could have a good dialogue. And I guarantee you, none of you would come up with the right answer. Why? Because there is no right answer. Every answer begets a new question. And so when you write to me and purport to answer the question, I'll answer your question with my question. So uh, let's let's proceed. Uh, okay, here are some, some letters. I got some good letters uh, this week. I watch you constantly, but there is a natural bent for you when you said that if they voted against Trump's impeachment, this is about Mayorkas, then they are duty-bound to vote against Mayorkas. He doesn't disagree with that. He says, I think you would have been more consistent if you had said on the other side, if you voted for Trump's impeachment, then you are obligated to vote for this as well. That's a good point. I think you have a point. And if you did vote for that, unless you have a good reason to distinguish the cases, and I can't see any particularly good reason legally and constitutionally to distinguish the cases, then I think I think that's a good, good point. Uh, okay. Dersh is partially wrong on the Senate being able to remove an appointed officer for incompetence. Remember, I took the position that even though you can be confirmed by the Senate, you can't be unconfirmed by the Senate. They can't take away your job once you've been confirmed. He said, since the courts can't review an impeachment, not right, they haven't yet up to now, but doesn't mean they can't. Since the courts can't review an impeachment, so an office of president could be removed from office for eating carrots, uh, claiming it is a high crime if the charge were made by the House and the Senate voted for it. It doesn't matter if the person actually ate the carrots. No, that's not true. Um, there are two justices of the Supreme Court, neither of them currently sitting. If my memory is correct, one of them was Justice White and the other was Justice Souter, who said that if you had an extreme case of a violation of the impeachment provisions of the Constitution, the Supreme Court might well interfere. And the carrot case is certainly one of them. No, nobody could be impeached for, for eating carrots. Uh, okay. Um, why would this is now gets back to the Phony Willis case, which I got a lot of letters on. Um, why would any DA give that person as lead prosecutor, pick that person as lead prosecutor, when he has no background or relevant experience. Why hire another attorney with RICO experience and less pay? Willis is abusing her position, favoring Wade with no RICO experience, and that's a red flag in ethics problems. I think that's, I think that's correct. There may be an answer. Again, presumption of innocence, um, although, that, although that applies in criminal cases and not necessarily in political cases. But I'd like to hear her answer that question. I'd like to hear her explain why her now admitted boyfriend uh, got $650,000 and he got it, by the way, while they were boyfriend and girlfriend. Uh, he may have picked her. She may have picked him, she says, before they were boyfriend and girlfriend. Although, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> this was not a case where they met some evening suddenly and where the relationship began on a given day. <clears throat> they both admit that it was a continuing relationship. It started as a friendship before she picked him, and then it developed into a romantic relationship. To put it more crudely, you know, they 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 were friends who didn't have sex, and then suddenly they started having sex. 
This is not a one enchanted evening, you will see a stranger. No, it's not one of those cases. It's a case where the relationship developed over time. And so the question remains, was it appropriate for uh, her, Forney Willis, to pick her friend with whom she obviously at some point wanted to have a romantic relationship uh, who was less qualified than other people who were more qualified. And I think that's a, a reasonable, a reasonable question. Um, they should be forced to testify about their relationship with the White House. Now, there are a lot of letters that I got questioning how come um, uh, the prosecutors went to the Justice Department or the White House and met with officials. Um, that, of course, they should explain it. But there are plausible explanations. When you have two cases that are pending uh, on the same basic issues, one being a federal case, the Washington, D.C. case being brought by Jack Smith uh, involving um, January 6th, and the state case involving essentially the same facts, it is very common to coordinate and figure out which witnesses one side will have, which witnesses the other side will have, uh, to make sure that witnesses don't contradict in one case, what evidence they're going to put on in the second case. So that is not surprising. Um, that would most likely, however, involve meetings at the Justice Department or meeting at the special counsel's office, not necessarily meetings at, at the White House. So I think there is some explaining to do, but I'm going to presume innocence on that one until I hear more don't forget Wade's two trips to the White House. This needs to be explained. So I agree with you. It needs to be explained, but it's not as obviously um, uh, uh, guilty as the relationship itself. Uh, professor, the U.S. State Department, the direction of Joe Biden has imposed sanctions on four Israeli citizens who they claim are fomenting violence in the West Bank. Do you believe these sanctions are justified? And does the U.S. have the right to be interfering in the internal policies of Israel? Look, I don't like these settlers who have been engaged in violence. They ought to be prosecuted, and they are prosecuted. But the idea that the United States government should impose sanctions on um, individuals who have no impact on the United States, probably unconstitutional, probably illegal. But sanctions are so lawless today that it's very hard to get them before the court. I've litigated some cases involving sanctions, and they all involve uh, economic or other impacts on the United States. They, they don't generally involve four individuals who may have violated is, Israeli law. Imagine if the United States, uh, if, if, if Israel tried to impose sanctions on um, some gang members in Chicago for causing too much violence in Chicago. You know, th there are limits to the jurisdiction of the United States. There are Maybe no limits to the power of the United States, but there are limits to the jurisdiction of the United States. Um, I was blown away when you said you were 85. Bravo, sir. You have aged well. Well, for the moment. Uh, let's see how that works. Should you be forced to testify about all of your trips to that evil island? I already did. And, oh, there's another letter that relates to that. It says, says the man who was on Epstein's island 175 times. Now, I did testify. I was on the island once with my wife and my then 10-year-old daughter. Epstein had just bought the island. It was empty. It was vacant. And he invited uh, my wife, myself, and I. We were in the Caribbean. And, and, and Professor Michael Porter, a very distinguished professor of economics, 
to have uh, dinner with him and his then girlfriend, Ghislaine Maxwell. There were no other people, no young people on the island. So yes, I have testified and I'm happy to testify about anything relating to that and relating to anything I did because I did absolutely categorically without any doubt, nothing, nothing wrong. And that has been completely proved by my records and cases. And, and, you know, ultimately, as you know, the woman who accused me did say publicly, um, but that she uh, may have um, misidentified me. She may have confused me with somebody else. That satisfies me. And so the next letter is, why don't we know definitively if Dershowitz had an intimate relationship? Well, we do. We know it pretty definitively because my evidence proved it. Um, we don't know it definitively from her statement about May, but we know it definitively by all the evidence in the case, including how the case came about. Now, we now know from the recent um, um, disclosure of, of classified of, or, or of sealed material that the whole thing started when a woman named Sharon Churcher um, put the idea into the head of my accuser and said, oh, even though we know there's no proof that he did anything wrong, you should name this guy Dershowitz uh, in your book proposal, because although he did nothing wrong, he may have, you may have seen him with Epstein. And if you saw him with Epstein, it'd be good to have his name in the book, because if his name is in the book, uh, he's famous. He, he did the Von Bulow case. There was a movie made about him. And so she put me in the book as somebody who she did not have sex with and only later after meeting her uh, lawyers uh, and the lawyers and, and, and her friend testified that um, she um, was pressured by her uh, lawyers, uh, a lawyer from Utah and a lawyer from Florida to, um, uh, to, to accuse me. She did. She falsely accused me. Um, I have said from day one that the accusation was false. There was nothing to it. And um, she has now acknowledged publicly that she may have confused me with someone else. So I'm satisfied the case is over. But apparently radical anti-Israel students at the University of Miami aren't satisfied. And they're trying to get me banned from speaking because of these false allegations. I will not allow myself to be canceled based on false allegations. We'll see what tomorrow brings. Um, see you tomorrow. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.